This is Father Aaron with another podcast. I'm not sure how many of you have ever experienced tragedies or maybe received a bit of very bad news. Often when this occurs, the place where this tragedy happened or the news was received becomes charged, as it was, with the emotion of that moment. You can revisit the spot year by year and even a decade later, returning to that place is returning to the emotion of that moment. And this happens with happy moments, to some extent, with weddings, births, and the like. But at least in my experience, there is nothing to compare with the charged feeling of a place which has witnessed great sadness or loss. I would think for the apostles, that place was the upper room. The first time the apostles laid eyes on this room, a number of important things happened which affected them for the remainder of their lives. Their feet were washed as their Lord explained that they would have no understanding of why he was doing it until later. They experienced the foretelling of sacramental rites, which they would revisit for decades, rites which would lead them to their deaths, which they would hand on and teach to a future generation, and which that future generation would hand on to the next, and so forth. They received bread and wine from the hands of God, with God, Jesus Christ, telling them that it was his very flesh and blood. But perhaps the most emotional moment of their first visit to that room was when their Lord and Master dipped his hand into the dish with Judas, and then Judas departed. From there, three of them left with Christ to the garden, and I suspect about an hour or so later they reconvened in that same place, this time without their Lord, who was bound by now in chains on the way to Caiaphas. The next day they would regroup later in the evening, having heard all the news of the crucifixion of their Lord, and I say heard because all but one of them fled from the scene and abandoned him. The next evening they would assemble with a bit of a different emotion, having found an empty tomb, and then suddenly Christ would appear to them, though the doors were locked and he would eat with them and give them the authority to forgive sins. It would happen again the next week, and then some fifty days later they would gather one more time, this time with Mary, and suddenly there would be a great sound of a mighty wind that filled the place where they were sitting, 
and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Surely, and we don't know, but if they ever visited that room again, a well of emotions would rise up to them upon entering. It would be forever linked to the most important moment of their lives, and consequently to the most impactful moment of each of our lives as well. What had brought them to the upper room on Pentecost morning was a similar emotion. Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks, was a Jewish festival before this day. It was the day when Moses received the law from the hand of God, with all Israel gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, and they heard a sound of rushing wind and fire come down on the peak of the mountain. And Moses, descending, carrying the law in his hand, carved by the finger of God, Pentecost morning was a day charged with meaning for them. It was the birthday of the Hebrew religion. Before Mount Sinai, the children of Abraham were a family with religious practices. But the events of Mount Sinai changed everything. They were given their religion with all its forms of worship and sacrifice. And not only that, but God had promised to dwell with them forever. And he left the tablets of the Decalogue as the promise of that presence. Everywhere the Hebrew priest carried the Ark of the Covenant, God dwelt with his people. So on Pentecost morning, the apostles are assembled in the upper room, a place charged with meaning for them. On the Feast of Weeks, a day charged with meaning for them. And God interposes his Holy Spirit once more. The upper room becomes Mount Sinai, And this haphazard group of pilgrim Jews gathered in Jerusalem for the feast from every corner of the world are once more assembled into a people, into a church, and sent on yet another pilgrimage to another yet final promised land. The church fathers often said that at the foot of Mount Sinai there stood the church. We as Catholics do not see ourselves as an offshoot of Judaism. Each Sunday we profess in the creed our belief in the Holy Spirit who spoke through the prophets. When we speak those words, we should imagine a line of people, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Zechariah, John the Baptist, and even the fathers of the church, Basil the Great, John Chrysostom, Augustine. It was the same spirit who spoke to them that filled the upper room on Pentecost morning. It's for this reason that the church imparts to us a ceremonial form of worship and a liturgical year of feasts and seasons. Each time she raises the chalice high, each time she revisits these sacred feast days, there's a surge of emotion. And on Pentecost morning, she recalls how this final age began all the way back in Jerusalem on that Sunday morning, 50 days after the resurrection. I don't know if you've ever read through the Acts of the Apostles or at least read it enough to Notice, when St. Luke begins the book of Acts, he writes, In the first book, that is in the gospel, In the first book I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Listen again. In the first book I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach began to do and teach. The ministry of Jesus Christ while he dwelt on this earth in human flesh was the beginning of his ministry. The age of the church, which began at Pentecost, is the rest of the story. On Pentecost morning, the haphazard gathering of Jews is ordered into a single body, a mystical body of Christ, which we call the church. And like each of our bodies, the mystical body is ordered and enlivened by a spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
which still governs the church today. Think back to that night when the apostles first set their eyes in the upper room. After Christ had washed their feet, he gathered them and gave them a solemn promise, I will not leave you orphans, he said. That promise is made to each of us. We have not been orphaned so long as we are members of the body of Christ, which is the church. The Holy Spirit of God flows through and enlivens the church in all her acts and in all her teachings. When she speaks, it is Christ who is speaking. When she teaches, it is Christ who is teaching. In the words of St. Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body on earth now but yours. Today we close the book on the Easter season for this year, and it has certainly been a season charged with emotion. The last time the parish gathered together, it was just a few days after we began our Lenten journey. And though I'm glad we're able to gather again, it is my hope that our temporary separation has allowed us to recall that the body of Christ is made not of brick and stone, but is living now in our very flesh and united through his Holy Spirit. Alleluia, Christ is risen.